In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Martha Roberts. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Martha about her career in emergency medicine, from her initial start in music and audio production to advanced practice nursing. Join the conversation discussing the ways Martha uses her skills, talents, and passions to build one opportunity on top of another. This episode is called Building Blocks of a Nursing Career. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals, but most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Holly. Great to be with you today. It's great to have you. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Martha Roberts. Martha is a nurse practitioner in emergency medicine with her hands in about a thousand different areas of her professional life and just life in general. She is currently living, working, and connecting all these dots in Northern California. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Martha? Sure, I would be happy to. If I went down everything that Martha had been involved in, that would be the podcast because it's that busy. Um, but no, I'm really happy to have her with us today. Martha Roberts is an assistant professor and lead of the pediatrics department for Samuel Merritt School of Nursing in Sacramento, California. She's also an adult and pediatric nurse practitioner at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center in the emergency department. She's the host of the Center for Medical Education's EM Bootcamps, the Two View podcast, and teaches nationally. Additionally, she remains adjunct faculty for Georgetown University School of Nursing. Her specialty focuses on emergency and critical care populations. So Martha, thank you for being here. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You two really do a wonderful show, and I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And I wanted to ask you about your career because you have a lot going on. Um, but you say that your career started when you were 14 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened and, and how it's progressed to where you are now? Sure. I definitely started spending time in the hospital and scribing basically for emergency physicians back when I was 14 years old. My father was working in West Philadelphia at Mercy Hospital. And essentially he said, Hey, if you're interested, come on in. He threw a pair of scrubs at me and he said, you know, I really don't like taking notes anyway. So you'll be of value here. He was never good at, at writing any notes. His handwriting was terrible. So I learned a lot from him at an early age and we became partners sort of in crime in regards to trying to get through each shift every day um, together. So I learned about what he did and I learned a lot about myself and what I wanted to do with my career as well. Well, that's great. That's really awesome that you could spend so much time with your father and I'm sure had a had a very lasting impact on you. And you initially didn't go straight into medicine though, right? You had kind of started down a diff different career path and then moved back into medicine? True. I actually really loved music and sports. Those are my two favorite extracurricular activities, which I still do all the time. I actually went on to play professional field hockey at American University, and I ended up majoring in music, audio technology, and production, and environmental science. And I worked in the music and recording business for several years. I was actually one of the only females doing it. It was a tough career. So I thought to myself, how can I bridge other things that I like and careers that will be a little more financially 
uh, how should I say, acceptable um, together. How am I going to do this? So basically I went back to the ER and I hung out with my dad again and the fire completely reignited. I thought, well, maybe I could do a little music therapy on the side. Maybe I could do some educational videos and recordings. And here I am today after going back and getting a nursing degree, second degree at Georgetown. I worked for five years at a level one trauma center, Fairfax, and then I got two more masters. Um, Actually, I did my ACMP first, and then I did two more in pediatrics. So sometimes I lose track, you know, I just Yeah, I can see why that might be difficult to keep track of all the different programs and things that you've accomplished. So I hope you have them all written down somewhere. Um, But the list is probably getting very long. You have authored, you have taught, you have coordinated conferences, hosted podcasts, worked in the clinical setting. I mean, really, Martha, how do you juggle all of this? Like, how, how do you do it? So it's funny, people ask me that frequently, uh, not just people I work with, but my family, because they're kind of like, how are we doing this? And I say, <laughs> you know, I really don't see it as juggling. I actually see all of the things that I do and that my family does as building blocks. Many times I'm not doing all those things at once, unless of course it's December and then I work all five jobs in that month and and then we celebrate with Christmas. It's really nice. But I've tried to find a balance between doing what seems like work and then what seems like fun. Some projects and some career building activities, you know, when you get those things together in a nice mix, overall, it doesn't seem like work. Um, And you don't feel like you have all these pizza pies in the air. In order to stay present and evergreen in emergency medicine, you have to have your hand in a lot of pots. And if you want to teach, then you have to work clinically without a doubt. If you want to publish, you have to work clinically. I did cut back on the number of clinical shifts that I do, but I do enough to make sure that I'm competent. And going back to the family thing, I'm a mom and it's it's really important that you budget your time. So yes, you have to do all these things to stay current. Um, but when I'm with my kid, I'm 100% present with her. I'm 100% there. And I feel like if I get the career and project things out of the way during the day or on the weekends or whatever, I'm present at those. And then I'm present with her. And I think that's really important that people do that, that they kind of go all in, in each activity. And then nothing seems like it's half done. And I have a lot of lists, a lot of lists everywhere. (laughs) I am a strong believer in a list and a sticky note. And I do enjoy checking off and like scratching through something. There's it's a sense of accomplishment, unlike anything else. Can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, I won't call it a project, but a program for the clinical emergency medicine for advanced practice providers? So there are several educational programs that we offer through the company that I partner with called the Center for Medical Education. And many years ago, when we were operating this course, it was simply physicians meeting together in various places across the country to discuss evidence-based practice and integrating new administrative roles into emergency medicine and growing that profession. You know, a lot of people forget emergency medicine physicians really didn't exist until really the late 70s and early 80s. The first residency program um, was very small. There were very few emergency physician doctors. Now, of course, we know the pediatric nurse practitioners got in the mix rather early, but not what you see in regards to adult and critical care nurse practitioners and PAs at the moment. So 
What we wanted to do was create a course for advanced practice providers um, and some internal medicine physicians and nurses also attend our courses to basically get the bread and butter information about emergency medicine, how and what and when, and learning all of that in a couple of days in a course is really, really super useful um, for all the different levels of emergency medicine clinicians. So we design it for basically anyone who wants to take their education to the next level or see how they can advance their role within their environment. I just wanted to dive a little bit deeper into what some of those things are. So with the education that you're doing, is this a mixture of virtual in person? I know that you have a emergency medicine boot camp, but can you tell us a little bit more about what that would entail for uh, either a nurse practitioner or even a prospective nurse practitioner that might be listening? Yes, we do have in-person, online, and then some strict audio podcasts that we do. We have a risk management podcast that sort of covers these medical legal issues that a lot of us might face, hopefully not. We also have a great acute care series course that basically examines the latest advanced practice guidelines. I mean, when we publish our manual, it's published like a couple of days right before we put that last article in. So we know we're hundred percent up to date. We also integrate specialists who speak at our courses, some really big names in emergency medicine, uh, Rick Bucata and Diane Birnbaumer, who are the ones who originally put this course into action. Other people like Jillian Schmidt, who is the recent president of ASAP, Amalma too, our EKG wizard, Ken Milne, our Canadian go-to everything for evidence-based practice, pain management specialists like Rick Pescator, um, people who work for MRAP, which is, is another great educational podcast, Jessica Mason, and more. We also have PAs. We have Michael Sharma, Randy Danielson, and really these people have been around for decades. It's not about tossing around a bunch of important names. It's about the fact that the people we have have worked in the company and have been in, involved in emergency medicine and teaching for years. They publish, they're leading experts in the topic and their level of commitment to the industry, as well as the integrity that they show is pretty incredible. So not only are you getting information about strains, sprains, and fractures, you're learning from people who love to teach and maybe can teach you how to teach somebody else. They're smart, well-rounded people. They know the game, they know the goals, and they're fun to have a few drinks with once in a while. You know, you have these educational sessions and you talk about, you mentioned like sprains and strains, the things that have been around for many, many years. But I know you've also spoken about medical apps and using technology. And I know you're a big proponent of online medical education and uh, accessible education at your fingertips. So how did you get into this realm of of being such a proponent of, of digital education and digital uh, access to education? Was there anything that you just realized that there was a gap or a need to be able to to access it so quickly at the bedside or anything that came up that kind of pushed you into that that realm? Absolutely. My first degree, as I mentioned, was in music and audio production. So even to this day, I still use lots of different formats for recording and uh, putting together audio segments for people that want to learn in various different ways. So people like to learn in a multitude of ways. Some are visual learners, some like to listen, some like to do. And in order to create a good educational program, you really need to incorporate all those things. I think for about a decade, 
what I thought was the best way to go about teaching procedures was to use a patient example. So what we would do is I had universities that allowed me to record patients with their permission. And then I would splice and dice these, basically all the procedures that we would do at the bedside in emergency medicine. And I put them up on a platform through emergency medicine news. And I partnered with a physician Uh, my father. And so we both kind of came together to create this vast kind of package of technologically advanced procedural information for clinicians that are working with physicians that want to know what their role is as an NP. So not only did technology allow us to bring those two people together, but we're creating content that is real life, like real sewing up fingers, real you know, reduction of joints, um, intubations, all these things that we do every day as nurse practitioners and PAs. I'm going to ask you a tough, tough question now. So, you know, being able to access this information readily available, have it at your fingertips through an app or those things are all very good. And and that's changed a lot over the last few years, but we've also seen other advances in, in medications. We've seen advances in like pediatric LVADs, a number of different things that have come across even in the last five or 10 years. So with everything you're doing and being on the forefront of education and emergency medicine, where do you see this going in the next five or 10 years from now? Definitely a difficult question. I'm not quite sure what will happen overall in emergency medicine in the next decade, but I do know a lot of things need to change in regards to staffing, physical environment of the emergency department itself and how the space is utilized for patients safely, increased pay, certainly for everyone in the profession, but less to administrators who spend very little time working on the floor in the pit. What's really wonderful is that we're able to gather information, as you mentioned, with these new technological advances and change our practice. We have these innovative ways to basically make our lives more efficient, and then, of course, bring those to our patients. What would be really great is if we could continue to kind of zone in, hone in on this model of the physician, nurse, and advanced practice provider coming together as a team. Now, that might integrate more telemedicine. That might integrate more teletriage. Um, Specialists who can come in on, you know, a rolly computer and, and give us a consultation. And I definitely think that there has to be a way to integrate primary care into the hospital, like right there on site, not an urgent care, not a refer, see you in a couple of weeks, but a way to integrate emergency medicine with primary care. Because a lot of us know patients come to the hospital for non-emergency issues. And we can't just keep pretending like it's not happening or say when a patient shows up, oh, I don't do that. That's not what we do here. Well, it is what you do. So you need to embrace that. And I've worked with lots of people that a patient would say, I need a refill for this medication that we can see from the pharmacy they've been taking for years, right? Another aspect of technology that we love, being able to to look things up that easily. And those clinicians will say, I don't do that. I don't do refills for that. And that's just absurd. I mean, if you think that your job is just intubations and trauma, then you're sorely mistaken. (laughs) I would agree with you there. I think there are are so many things that will happen moving forward as far as just like advances, advances in healthcare, advances in medicine there that's coming. But I do agree that there are things that need to happen now. Um, and in the next year or so, two years, three years. So that way we can embrace all of these, you know, advances coming forward. But if we don't fix, you know, what is basically cracks in our profession now, 
then they're only going to, that's only going to evolve and be more of a stumbling block, I think, between providers and nurses and the patients themselves. And so I really like what you had to say there, Martha, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, I feel like you've told us a a little bit about this, but I'm really interested to see, can you tell us about a person or a moment in your career that greatly impacted you, um, maybe changed the trajectory of your career, your life? I'm going to give you two examples. One will be a humble brag and the other truly sentimental occurrence. You know, when I was young and new in emergency medicine, I envied a physician by the name of Diane Birnbauer. She was a hero of mine. And as I mentioned, my father was also an emergency physician. I was just constantly surrounded by these people that were doing really cool things and taking this awesome career of emergency medicine to so many new, awesome, brilliant levels. So Diane, she's she's not just a smart doctor. Uh, she's a, a very caring clinician as well as a very well-rounded human being. Kind of brings me back to what you said in the beginning about the juggling. You know, I just do the things that I love to do and I try to be fully present when I do them. And she is the same. She has some really cool extracurricular hobbies and she writes and travels and operates at this very high level of what I like to say, carpeing the diem. And I remember I used to go to see her lecture when I was young and I was very inspired by what she said and how she taught. I just loved her enthusiasm, her passion for emergency medicine. And you know what? I just really wanted to be her friend. And the funny thing is, is I've known her my entire life since I was a fetus, basically, because my father and Diane worked together for a long time. She never was condescending or bragged about anything, even though she was so great. And so that in and of itself is very important to learn from people, being humble like that, even though she's so accomplished. But most recently I was at a conference and I gave a couple of lectures. And after one was done, I looked over to see if she was listening or even clapping. And I just really wanted her to be proud of me. And I tried to emulate all of her good qualities during my my talking. I wanted to impress her, right? And I walked back over and she put her arm around me And she said, you have truly become a wonderful speaker and I am so proud of you. I mean, I started crying. It meant so much to me. And having lost my father this last year, um, uh, she's helped me through good times and bad times. She's reminded me to invest my time in things that are important, not just the career and and the juggling, as you said. Um, And that keeps you positive and motivated to do a good job. And then at the same conference, my humble brag was that someone came up and asked for my autograph, which was something new. (laughs) I definitely, (laughs) these impacted me quite a bit in very different ways. So, Hey, I think that's great. I, you know, you've helped author some different books before, so I I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, next time I see you, I I think I might do the same thing. (laughs) Oh, please. You know, you have a lot of really great insight. I mean, you're obviously very well accomplished as a nurse, but I just, I really appreciate your insight and and your perspective. And before Holly gets to a few other questions, we had talked previously about the role of a nurse practitioner in emergency medicine and some of those different things that you do um, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, there's, there's different practices in different states and there's different things that people do based on their medical direction and stuff. But how, how do you, um, how do you approach the role of a nurse practitioner? How, you know, there's some people that are very adamant that it's, this role is, is not a mid-level role. This role is a single provider role. And we're, 
on the, on the, on a same plane per se. Other people uh, don't seem to be approaching that subject as much. But what is your thought, without getting into uh, any kind of back and forth debate over it? But what what is your thought on the ideal role of a nurse practitioner and where they fall into this whole healthcare spectrum of of care in the U.S. Well, you know, I've commented on this before at various uh, conferences and certainly in the work that I do. And I think it's challenging for nurse practitioners in many cases, but it can also be a really beautiful mix. If you're lucky to find a clinical or teaching setting that allows you to operate at your highest level of training and you have a great working relationship with your colleagues, that's gold. That's where I am at the general. You know, we're all very respectful of each other. What I find difficult to deal with are the extreme clinicians or nurse practitioners who can either barely operate with physician oversight, meaning they don't have a lot of experience or confidence to build it, or those that feel they're able to operate entirely independently without a physician. The role of an advanced practice provider in general was not created to do everything on your own. I mean, it just wasn't. And it was created to sort of bridge the patient to the physician and to the nurse. Now, that's not to say that advanced practice providers can't do a ton of things on their own without physician oversight, and they could certainly run run their own private practice. I'm speaking about emergency medicine in particular. The real key in emergency medicine is knowing when and how um, to ask questions. And I think it might be difficult for one to admit that they don't know something or need more information. It's definitely critical for nurse practitioners who who are working in the emergency department to ask for help in a way that doesn't demean them, um, but also allows them to have what's uh, best for the patient occur. So simply asking a physician, hey, I want to run this case by you. Can you go by, say hi to the patient, agree with the plan of care? What an awesome day for a patient, right? They get two really excellent providers that they know have collaborated together with a plan or even just curbsiding a physician and saying, Hey, can you look at this ankle x-ray? And they say, Oh, did you catch this foot fracture? Did you want to add on a dedicated image? You know, that's an extreme example, but it's happened to me where, you know, you see one thing and you don't see the other and having two eyes on something is so important. I wouldn't see this as a negative thing. I mean, do you all see a physician involved in nurse practitioner care as a negative thing? I don't see it at all, but I do like some of the things that you've brought up. I've seen extremes of it. And I think the the comment you made about collaborative care is is so crucial. And unfortunately, there's some NPs that get into a role of almost being like a scribe where they're they're simply just writing out whatever is being told them. Um, And then there's the opposite where I've also seen the ones that are like, I'm an NP and I don't need to listen to this and that. And but I, I think that true collaboration of being able to take the strengths of the profession of nursing and the strengths of the profession of emergency medicine physicians and combine those together is such an awesome ability to have. Um, so I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head there with that collaborative piece that is so crucial right now. And think about all the times that a nurse practitioner, especially with medications and procedures at the bedside, have made a positive impact for the patient and then also help the clinician, physician, or a resident. So for example, um, you know, I spent five years titrating drips and pushing meds for uh, active MIs or cardiac arrest. 
I mean, some of these physicians might order a drug and I'd say, do you really want dopamine or should we go with norepi? You know, because I'm there pushing the button. I knew what it did for these patients with those problems. Or if we're intubating a patient and they ask for a Mac blade and I said, well, you know, looking at this patient's neck, maybe we should do a Miller. You know, these are the things that nurses do because they were there. And it just takes me back to this idea that this role was not created to be completely independent in the emergency department. It's just silly. It's it's actually quite, quite crazy because I don't think that operating on your own in any environment is healthy. And you, sh- I personally don't think it would be a great brag to say, I ran the department by myself. First of all, you're not getting paid to run the department by yourself. Second of all, why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Again, lots of things nurse practitioners can do on their own. There are a ton of things that nurse practitioners bring to the table, beauty, integrity, intelligence, envious organizational skills that we have with procedures and 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 getting our hands on those meds like I talked about. We bring a lot to the table. And if you can find a place where you have supportive colleagues, then then don't leave. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to let Holly take it from here, but um, thank you so much for all of your insight. And it's been great chatting with you. Great to just catch up with you as well. Oh, you too. Truly appreciate it. Well, Martha, I am going to take our conversation just to the right a little bit, as I like to say, um, with a few rapid fire questions that really have to do with you because we want to get to know you. I mean, not only in all the things that you're involved in professionally, but just to get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to do some favorites, as I like to say. What would you be doing if you were not in your current role? Honestly, I would be a florist. That has been, that's how I'm going to retire. I love plants. I love gardening. You can see my aloe vera and orchid in the back, two of my most favorite plants in the world for many reasons, but man, I'd love to just retire in a field of roses. (laughs) That sounds lovely. Um, I would hope that we would be able to catch up with you in retirement and you can show off your gardening skills and your floral arrangements. I'm down for that. Okay. Some more favorites. Um, obviously it can be, you know, favorite of all time, or it can be something current, but what would you say is your favorite book? Favorite of all time is Tender is the Night by F. Scott Fitzgerald, because I love the sort of old school language, the flow of the book. It's romantic, yet dark and deep and passionate. Uh, Sometimes that's how I feel about emergency medicine, yet it's filled with feelings of fear, anxiety, and disappointment. So (laughs) there you go. You kind of get it all in one place (laughs) like that. Um, Okay. Favorite movie. Again, it can be current or all time. Favorite movie would be an old 1970s classic called Being There with Peter Sellers. Actually, when that movie was made, it was far ahead of its time, both in the production, which I appreciate from working in that industry for a little bit, and the storyline. So it's basically this classic idea about how ignorance is bliss, yet it covers so much about the human psyche, and it has some really interesting humor. I could literally watch it over and over again, but I could also watch thriller movies over and over again. I like the swing of your, your taste in movies, like classic cinematography, but then also sca- getting scared out of your mind. Perfect. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> sounds like, honestly, it sounds like emergency medicine. Okay. Your favorite song. 
Favorite song, and I tell my brother all the time, it better be played at my funeral, is Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell. It's one of those songs that depending on my mood, I literally get something totally different out of it. It's it's bizarre. I, I don't know how that's possible, but go listen to that song. Depending on what mood you're in, you might might feel uh, happy. You might feel sad. I just love the way that music can do that to you, though. Sometimes you hear a song, it brings feelings of maybe, you know, sadness or grief, but then you hear it again and it's, oh, you know, hope and, and joy. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of music. And I honestly, sometimes I feel like I should have been born into like a Broadway show because I feel <laughs> like there should be music accompanying me throughout my life. Like everywhere I go, there just should be music. As, they, as You know, Holly, they, they've looked at studies where they've played music in emergency departments, you know, and done other things. There was a great study that was done out of Vanderbilt as well that put lavender mist in the waiting room. It was replicated several times. I mean, all these things that bring out that part of our brain when we're working are so important. Um, During lunch now, I listen to music on my lunch break. I don't make phone calls. I eat my food and I listen to music and it's, it's lovely. You should try it. I actually would listen to music a lot. I pretty much have music on all the time. Obviously not when I would go into patients' rooms because, well, you just never know. Um, but but- Holland, didn't you want, like, you wanted your own theme song to play every time you walked into your patient's room. I think that's a different type of music. <laughs> you know, like, I advocated, <laughs> I advocated real strong for it and kept getting declined. I should have included more studies, but all right. Well, what would be your comfort food or meal that you really enjoy? I love a giant bowl of pasta. I've been carb loading since 1985 and I don't care what anybody says. Carbs are my friend. And if I know that I have a really long day at the desk, I'll be like, oh, I got a carb load tonight. Just like the same I would do when I was playing professional sports. It's like, just load it up, make my brain work. There's, there's nothing you said that was wrong. Nothing. <laughs> I agree with it wholeheartedly. <laughs> I don't care what the evidence says. <laughs> Carbs for me. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have any other hobbies or interests that you could share with us? Well, I definitely love, like I said, uh, flowers and gardening. I really love trying to master the 15 minute workout, which is a really cool kind of online trend where you try to follow all these people doing these crazy 15 minute workouts. How much can you accomplish in 15 minutes? Quite a lot. And then I love fly fishing, fishing, swimming, hiking, I paint a lot. I produce music for fun when I'm feeling creative, but really my, my favorite hobby and thing that I like to do in my free time is anything my kid wants to do. She teaches me a lot and she's a really kind little human. And I I really love spending time with her. I hope she doesn't hate me when she's 15, like all the other young ladies out there, (laughs) their moms. I feel the same. My daughter, you know, right. She's seven now. And I, I keep, I keep thinking to myself, I hope you enjoy being around me this much in seven more years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the most, it's the most like delicate of sentiments because I'm like, I don't want to smother you with love, but I'm also worried in seven years, you won't want to be around me. Exactly. So I, I must well, smother you now. <laughs> find an equal balance between going to target and getting fun stuff and, uh, you know, cuddling and also maybe taking a hike or a walk together. There's oh, yeah. It's just the time, the time and, and focus when you're there, being present, you know, mm-hmm. to just being present in whatever you do. I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
I will ask this question. If our audience, I'm sure they would love to follow you um, online, what social media platforms or where can they follow you on? Well, right now, the big projects I'm working on, the uh, the two of you and um, some of the other things I do, you can find the podcast by going to the Center for Medical Education Online. That's just www.ccme.org. You can also see some of the courses that we do. Mm-hmm. You can also go and just listen straight up to the podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, or you can go to Fireside, which is our main channel view.fireside.fm, the number two view.fireside.fm. And then for about a decade, as I mentioned, I worked on procedural videos and a column um, for emergency medicine news. They're still all there, videos and and go to, not much just changes in procedures, right? So you can look any of those up on emergency medicine news. And I've transitioned to a new uh, platform called The Proceduralist, and that's just www theproceduralist.org. Great. Well, thank you so much again for um, meeting with us today, Martha. I know we've been chatting for a while about the podcast ever since our Las Vegas conference when you spoke back in November 2022. And I'm glad that we could connect today and spend some more time getting to know you and, and hearing all of the great things that you're doing in emergency medicine. And I just wanted to thank you not only for being here today and talking with us, but for all that you're doing to educate so many around the world. Um, it's it's really awesome. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And that course was a great course. I really loved the diversity of the speakers that you had. And looking around the audience, you had all kinds of people um, in all different roles in all different areas of healthcare. And I think that's really cool. It's hard to get a conference with that nice mix of people. I definitely would love to come back. Well, we'd love to have you back. It would be great. So thank you again for being there. And I'm glad you had a good time. Thank you. Thank you both. Well, I want to take this time to thank Martha for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Martha, for sharing your knowledge, your passion, and your time with us. We really did enjoy spending some face-to-face time with you at Learn Live in Vegas last November. If you missed out on these sessions, they are currently available for on-demand purchase at BC and Learn. Martha's session on medical apps is full of great advice and reviews. You're really going to want to check it out. To all of our listeners, we hope you stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out. <laughs>